Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Well, there are plenty of trendy and cult growing sites in Napa Valley. I've always been more fascinated with the historic vineyards there. The vineyard I'm probably most obsessed with is Tokolan in Oakville. It's several hundred acres on the benchland of the Mayakamas Mountains, which is primarily owned by Robert Mondavi Winery. From it, some of Napa's most historic and highest quality Cabernet Sauvignons and Sauvignon Blancs are produced. That's just one reason I was so excited to sit down with Joe Hardin, winemaker of Bordeaux Variety Wines at Robert Mondavi Winery. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditer.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditer.com. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm John Lennart, and joining me today is Joe Hardin, the Bordeaux winemaker at Robert Mondavi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I find that a lot of people in the wine industry grew up around wine and grew up around the wine business. That's true with you. Tell me about that. Exactly. Yeah, I've had my foot in wine growing for, for quite some time. I grew up on a vineyard, um, 30 acres of cab that we, since the 1990s, sold fruit to Mr. Mondavi himself. So yeah, pretty deep lineage. And where was that vineyard? In Lodi, California. Lodi, okay. Yeah. Was that, has that been in your family for a long time, or is that something your father... Yeah, so my father has a, has a foot in the business as well, and he um, established his vineyards in the early 1990s, and, and he had a relationship with Mr. Mondavi, and uh, we continued to, to sell fruit for him for a number of years. But between Lodi and working for Mondavi... Your life kind of went in a different direction for a while. You uh, you played some basketball. Yeah, I definitely had an interesting route to winemaking. I, uh, like I said, I grew up on a vineyard, making homemade wine with my dad, walking the vineyards as a kid. And then I also had a second passion, which was basketball. Um, and out of high school, I ended up choosing to uh, accept a scholarship to Notre Dame here in, uh, next to uh, South Bend, Indiana. And... Uh, yeah, for me it was it was a, a great opportunity. I did get a little uh, homesick. It was a little chilly out here in the Midwest. Winter, for me. Midwest winters and Lodi <laughs> winters are different. Yes, we were a little <laughs> spoiled out there, a little warmer. Um, yeah, and so I actually ended up I left and ended up playing at UC Davis and studied viticulture and enology. So did you go to Davis? because you wanted to study viticulture and enology, or did you go to Davis to play basketball? Yeah, it, it was definitely. For me, I wanted to get into the winemaking world, and I knew that that would be the best avenue for, for winemaking and wine growing. So it was a mixture of the two. I had a best friend playing basketball on the team at the time, and I had the, the wine kind of brewing in my, in my stomach. So I wanted to. It was a perfect fit, you know, for me an hour away from where I grew up, so just far enough. And it, was, it just seemed like a great, great opportunity to further my life further than basketball. Quite a cultural change in sports going from Notre Dame to Davis, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was interesting. It, you know, for me, I absolutely love my time at Davis. Um, I really, like I said, got into the school side of it, whereas at Notre Dame, I was undeclared, really focusing on basketball. And this second passion of winemaking really kind of um, blossomed when I was at Davis. But it was a different Different uh, basketball scene, definitely. Kind of a different route, but for me, it was exactly what I wanted. I had a, had an unbelievable time. When you were at Davis, did you make the NCAA at all? We did not. No, no we we, uh, we were close. Davis has been right. Yeah, they went this year. Yeah, they uh, they won their first game this year, and yeah, the, the the basketball team is is up and coming, doing really really well. So I'm I'm happy for for the Aggies. So, you you graduated from Davis, and then what happened? Yeah. So. Uh, I kind of had a balancing act. My wife had two more years at Davis, so I kind of wanted to have some fun and continue playing basketball. So I, I signed with an agent and 
Um, didn't get drafted in the NBA draft, but got drafted in the NBA D-League draft and got um, picked up by the Warriors. And at the time, they were out of Bismarck, North Dakota. Ooh. So two days <laughs> later, I was on a flight to, uh, to if Chile. If you didn't like winters in <laughs> South Bend, you certainly didn't like Bismarck winters. Yes, another, another uh, interesting culture shock for me, but I, ha- I had a great time there. I spent a season playing um, for the Dakota Wizards. Now it's the Santa Cruz Warriors, so I missed that by a year. <laughs> great timing. Um, and then I ended up going to play um, in Melbourne, Australia, in a professional league out there, and and uh, had an awesome time exploring and playing professional hoops in Australia. And you were a shooting guard, right? Yep. Yeah, I played like the two, three. Um, and like I said, I, I really love the culture. Great wines in Australia. It was a really good fit for me. And. You know, at one point I, I realized that I can continue playing for the next 10 or 15 years, but is that really something that I was really passionate about? I'd kind of been getting a little burned out on basketball, and I figured, you know, the, my passion for wine was outgrowing my passion for, for hoops. So I decided to uh, to make a change. And, and uh, for me, grow, growing up with my relationship with Mr. Mandavi and then going to UC Davis, which Mr. and Mrs. Mandavi were huge supporters of, sure. I immediately, when I was looking kind of at places to go and get my feet wet, I was like, I, I want to go learn from Robert Mondavi, the winery. You know, they, they, well, they have a great course. pedigree of winemakers. And um, with Tokalon Ranch, it's for, for a really green winemaker, there's no better place to learn. So I reached out to Jean-Vive Janssens and Glenn Workman. The Jean-Vive is our director of winemaking. And she's been at Robert Mondavi um, since 1976. And... Uh, reached out to her and said, I'll do anything. I'll get my feet wet anywhere. I'll pull hoses, anything you need me to do. I just want to get in the business and and work for Robert Mondavi Winery. And she said, your timing's great. Um, We're looking for for an intern to come in. And she set me up on a really unique internship where I spent three months in the vineyards, walking Tokalon, pruning, like really getting my hands um, in in the dirt, working uh, at Tokalon. And I I transferred over and did three months in the cellar, racking barrels, filling barrels, you know, making blends. Um, And then right for harvest, John Vip grabbed me and said, you're you're with me for for this harvest. This was 2012. And I said, beautiful, you know, take the ball and run with it. So... I got a really up and close um, personal relationship with her, kind of really as my mentor. And um, after that, they I was looking to maybe go up Valley and, and continue my you know my base winemaking knowledge. And they said, let's let's find a way for you to stay here. So, so you go from internship to a staff position. Yeah. So I, they uh, they created an enologist position, which is kind of like an assistant winemaker, and. Um, Got really uh, immersed in the in the culture of Robert Mondavi, and um, after that, the winemaker ended up leaving. And kind of with timing, you know, timing's everything in life. And I kind of got pushed into uh, the Bordeaux winemaker. So it's been a very quick and great ride for me at Robert Mondavi. You know, it's been uh, yeah, as I'm sure you know, the, the history and the legacy of Mr. Mondavi, and just kind of helping um, carry that torch and learning from Jean-Viev, who has almost 40 years of, of winemaking at one winery, which is, you know, unheard of. There's really nothing like that. So I feel very fortunate and blessed. In, in 2004, obviously, widely popularized or widely no, known that the company was sold to Constellation Brands from the Mondavi family. Yep. Um, how do you, obviously you weren't there prior to the sale, but you had relationships with the Mondavis. Right. How do you feel that the culture that was built by Robert and his sons at Robert Mondavi Winery 
continues today under the Constellation brand. Absolutely, yeah. So when you come to Robert Mondavi, and what I was really amazed with was, I mean, even my boss, Jean Viev, who's been there for so long and carries his tradition, um, Rich Arnold, who was a white winemaker, Robert Mondavi, since 1974. Um, and then a lot of our employees, a lot of people in the cellar, a lot of people in the bottling line, a lot of people in the vineyard, have 20, 25 plus years of experience, Robert Mondavi. They're, they're lifers, what we call them. And I think that shows kind of the the progression and continuing on of his message that the, the employees love and are carrying his torch because he was such a visionary and a pioneer. So for me, it's been an incredible opportunity. I, I wish I had experienced both sides. Um, and you would have been a young, yeah. <laughs> you would have been a teenager. <laughs> would have been a little too young. Uh, but there's a lot of great stories. There's a lot of um, you know, great ways that we are continuing on his his legacy, and it's really important for us. So the legacy continues, but we didn't talk about really what is what is it? What is the legacy? What is the culture? What what makes uh, Robert Robert Mondavi Winery so special? I think it's a really great mix of of history and foundation. Mr. Mondavi was so big on preaching that not only Robert Mondavi Winery but Napa Valley as a whole could produce the finest wines, of the, amongst the finest wines of the world. Like that was really his mission and his goal was like, can we lift the entire Napa Valley on a, on a world scale? And I think he was really instrumental in that. And you know, for, for us, I think his legacy is, he was a pioneer. He was always looking and moving forward. There was a, a great quote um, by Zelma Long when she came in and talked, who's a former Mandavi winemaker. And she said, he was a guy that never looked in the rear view mirror. He was always, how can we improve qualities first um, and there's no shortcuts so that's kind of the legacy that John Viev is really preaching to um, me and Megan Schofield our other burgundy winemaker um, is that let's put our heart and soul in every bottle of wine that we make that's great you obviously get to work with what I consider Napa Valley's greatest vineyard in Tokalon yep what does that mean to you <laughs> It makes my job a lot easier, um, having such incredible fruit. Um, you know, we're really fortunate. We have 450 acres of Tokalon, and I have other winemaker friends who, who purchase Tokalon fruit from a different grower, and you know, they get a ton here, a ton here, and for me, I get to work with kind of the entire ranch and see you know, the different microclimates, the biodiversity um, throughout Tokalon. So for me, it's such an esteemed vineyard, and it's so unique. Um, in so many ways, I, I feel really honored to, to really be able to dive deep in the vineyard and, and kind of, I mean, every all the wines that I make are from Tokalon, um, which... <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's really, for me, it's, it's, it's a great, great vineyard that, you know, makes my job a heck of a lot easier. You're a young man. Yep. <laughs> you, you've risen to a position that people with, you know, many more years in the business... Uh, than you envy. Yep. Uh, how does that feel? What do you think about that? It's it's for me. It's an honor. I I feel incredibly blessed. Like I said, I think um, for me, I, I've always my entire life I've been a listener more than I've been a preacher. I, I think I like to take in everything. I've always been a sponge, and I think. For me and Jean-Viev, it's been a great working relationship. She's really taken me under her wing, and and given me a lot of. Um, Responsibility, and I think that's because I'm an internalizer, and I and I always want to grow and continue to be a better winemaker. So our relationship's very cool because she has so much knowledge to pass down. She's, she's been there for such a long time that, 
you know, I've just taken an opportunity to like, let's just sit back and soak all this up. And that's kind of, for me, um, been my mentality. So I feel very, very fortunate. That's great. Is it kind of like playing pro ball in Australia, even even big college ball? Uh, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of pressure on athletes to perform. Uh, can you make, is, is, is there a similarity there? Is there anything you, you took from, you know, your basketball days and brought to working at a winery? Absolutely. There's so many things that correlate, whether it's, you know, you got to get everybody on the same page. We're all going to the same goal. So we get getting the vineyards, the winemaking team, our cellar, our, our lab, all working as one collaborative group. So I think that really relates to, to sports and, and getting everybody moving to one goal. And I think, um, yeah, for me, one of my most treasured times was going through um, every reserve cab wine that we had made with jean and Rich Arnold. And I felt a tremendous amount of pressure because we've been making such great wines for such a long time that, you know, I have a lot to live up to because of the, the, the history and the legacy of the winery. So, yeah, I do feel um, it's good pressure, though. It's healthy pressure, and it continues to make me grow as a winemaker and continue to improve. And I think that's what's fun about winemaking. It's ever-evolving, and, and it's a fun mix of, like, your foundation and your style, but, you know, creative and, and uh, you know, a mix of art and science. So, yeah, clearly you're not making small production wines. You're not some guy out there who's got, you know, his couple of acres that... He's got a couple of guys that help him farm it and does everything else yep. himself. You, you obviously have a team that you work with. Yep. Um, any challenges with working on such a scale? Yeah, you know, I take it as a, a much of a blessing. For me, I get to work on the greatest vineyard in the United States, arguably one of the top vineyards of the world, Tokelon. Um, and so that's really a playground for me, but also making wine um, from our Napa Valley cab that we source from Carneros all the way up to Calistoga. We do source some fruit, so it's it's fun to to not just be pigeonholed into a 10-acre parcel where you're making the same wine over and over and over again. I think for create, creativity, it's fun to be able to work with, with fruit, and you make wine differently from different regions. So for me, it's fun. Um, we have a wide range of of scales at Robert Mondavi Winery. We have our Reserve Cab, which is 100% from Tokelon. And then we go to our, our Napa Valley Cab, which, like I said, is sourcing fruit from different regions. And and I think it's a it's a great tool, and I think it's a great blending tool for us to to kind of get wines from Napa Valley. What grapes, obviously, you're growing Fumé Blanc in Tokelon, you're growing Cabernet, are you growing the rest of the Bordeaux varieties there? and what else is grown in Tokelon and the Mondavi side? On the Mondavi side, we, we just have all five Bordeaux red varieties, and then we have um, Sauvignon Blanc and a little bit of Semillon. So, so there's a little Semillon growing there. Yeah, too. there's a little Semillon. So our, like our Reserve Fumé Blanc, it, it is the only white wine coming off of Tokelon Ranch. There's no other, outside of our blocks, Robert Mondavi Winery, there's no other um, whites coming from Tokelon. You know, so it's a very unique wine. No one else wants to... Uh, take the hit on what they could charge for the fruit, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a balancing act. I mean, we have, um, like our reserve fume, we have a little bit of 1945 planted, dry-farmed, head-trained Sauvignon Blanc, and we have a majority of still the Still growing today? Still growing today, and a majority of, of the blend is coming from what we call Robert's Block, which was planted in 1960. So really old, head-trained vines, dry farm that... You just don't see anymore, so it's it's so unique in the sense that um, whenever I open up the reserve fume, I, I like to tell the, the story that this is 
the, one of the most unique Sauvignon Blanc, Fumet Blancs that you'll try. It's, it's coming off the best ranch, um, arguably, you know, across the world. Sure. Um, when you're working with fruit from Tocolon, I've been told that sometimes it's a little challenging in that it doesn't develop right away. It, it, it might seem simple, even on the vine. Tell me about that. Tell me about walking and tasting the, the grapes and... Yeah, so we have, like I said, we're very blessed to have a wide range, um, 450 acres planted of, of Tokalon. So we have a lot of different road. You can kind of walk the vineyard and kind of walk through history. You have different road, different vineyard management practices, different road directions, different clones, different rootstocks. And there's a drastic difference as you walk east to west, north and south. So it's, it's challenging to make a... Uh, a generalization, but yeah, the, the fruit for me on the vine is intense, it's structured, it's really concentrated. And then once we get it in the cellar, it for me is a wine that just evolves so elegantly and gracefully. Like you said, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, where, where are we going with this pick? And, and then you're tasting out of a barrel and you're like, hmm, okay, like, what do, where, where can we improve upon? And then all of a sudden when you're pulling out a barrel, like, this is amazing. So yeah, it does go through a lot of phases. It's ever evolving. Um, and like I said, throughout the vineyard, there's so many different soil types and exposures. And so there's a lot of cool um, blending tools that we can kind of get to where we want to be because um, we have a, a vast array of plantings. Did getting used to what the fruit in Tokalon tastes like take some getting used to? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's unique in the sense that the the structure and the tannins coming off Tokalon are so unique and distinct and and impressive that you really have to wait and understand the ripeness of Tokalon to really get a good grasp and feel of when you want to harvest. I think the biggest decision for a winemaker is when to harvest. And so it took some um, Jean-Viev really mentoring me and showing me the evolution of tannin in Tokalon. And also what makes Tokalon very unique is its ability to retain acidity. So it has a natural freshness. So you can get the ripeness that we're looking for, but also have that fresh, vibrant, lifted finish, which is what we're really looking for, a wine that's food friendly and, and vibrant and, and, and has nice flesh. So it's a really cool mix of like power and structure, but also just natural freshness. So it wouldn't be that uh, kind of over-extracted, jammy, kind of, you know, when people hear Napa Cabernet, a lot of times they roll their eyeballs because they're used to that, uh, you know, style that a certain critic is known yeah. to like. Yeah, the blockbuster uh, style. Uh, that's not what you're doing. No, no, we're, we're continuing on Mr. Mandavi's legacy of, of, of balance. You know, we don't, we don't want to go too far in either direction. I think we're looking for elegance. We're looking for finesse. And I think he had a great quote that Jean Viev always always says we're in the blending room is that he wants a wine that's as soft as a baby's bottom but has a voice and power of Pavarotti. So it's kind of a mix of you know of structure and tannin and, and power, a wine that's going to age for a long time but also having that finesse and elegance that is approachable now. Um, and we're always trying to just balance that, you know, not going too far and, and hanging the hanging the fruit too long. We're looking for for balance. So it sounds more like you're interested in making the wines that you think are great rather than wines that are going to achieve a certain score. Exactly. We're, we're looking, more importantly, to continue on with Mr. Mandavi's vision of 
of finesse and elegance. Um, that's really what we're, we're going for. We're not going to change our style for, for any, you know, we're going to make a wine that's true to the vintage and has variances based on what we're seeing. I mean, we want to make a wine that has a sense of place, but have that, that base and foundation and, and that's what we're, what we're aiming towards, you know, kind of moving to the beat of our own drum and continuing on with, with his legacy and vision. Coming out when you did in 2012, making wines true to the vintage probably was fairly easy considering the couple of vintage is in a row that we've had. Exactly, yeah. I've been very, very fortunate having 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 just be a string of incredibly beautiful, epic vintages. Um, you know, we're knock on wood, this year has been a really wet year, so I'm, I'm getting geared up for a little bit of a challenging harvest. Maybe we have a lot of weather to happen before we get there, but I've been very, very fortunate and the timing's been great. We've had a string of just remarkable vintages. That's great. Want to taste some wine? Yes, absolutely. Right. Why not? Where do we start? Let's start with our reserve Fumé Blanc. Um, for me, this is a wine that has a real sense of place. The vines are on average 30 plus years old, dry farm, head trained. Um, we're looking for, in terms of ripeness, we're looking for, you know, the the start, the citrus, a little bit of like the um, white tropical, so right before it gets to like the orange peel, yeah. more like fresh, vibrant, um, kind of right in that middle um, balance, not grassy. So, so not, 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 not French grassy, no. cat pee, not New Zealand yep. uh, passion fruit. and Exactly. So you're kind of going right kind in the right middle. Kind of right in the middle, and I think that that, for me when I'm walking the vineyard, is right, right when the fruit starts to taste delicious and you want to grab a bunch as, as you're walking is when we like to harvest and um, we we obviously handpick we we believe in uh, a bit of barrel fermentation so this wine's probably about 90% um, barrel fermented in about depending on the vintage and the the quality of the fruit 15 to 25% new French oak yeah. we really like two coopers that we dial in um, with our, our Fumé Blanc and it's Aged Sir Lee, so we, we actually stir even from fermentation on twice a week. Oh, we do create, a lot of batonage yeah, We do a lot of batonage to kind of create that mouthfeel. Um, and like I said with Tokolon, it has a natural acidity, so it just kind of is a bright, So does it fresh, need that? Leasing? Yeah, just to give it a little fullness, yeah, a, yeah. Little, a little body. Um, and it's in barrel for about 10 months. The other balance, it's about 90% barrel fermented and the 10% is actually concrete egg. Cool. Uh, I'm a, I'm, okay, I'm, so a little, little, little new school geeky yeah, coming in. Exactly, yeah. So like Mr. Madabi is always about, you know, research, go taste other wines in Napa Valley, go see what people are doing. And, and I really like the way the egg plays on your palate. I think it's a great, you know, balancing and, and adds a little dimension and texture. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, the nose is super floral, real perfumed. Yeah elegantly uh the fruits elegantly integrated into all of that and yeah definitely not too tropical mm-hmm. or too grassy i think the the oak is really integrated it's not overdone it's just very hint in the background mm-hmm. on the mouth of bright acidity mm. terrific definitely makes your mouth water once you want to have some food with this wine exactly it's a really great food pairing wine um i like kind of the lifted fresh fruit finish. It doesn't sit heavy. It's really lifted and vibrant and yeah, I think it has a really good yeah, flow. Yeah, it keeps going. Yeah. You know, these vines are 30-year-old vines mostly. Yep. How are they producing? Are they still producing well? I mean... Oh, so that's a, that's a, another tricky subject. We have about 
I'd say two to three and a half tons per acre on a really old dry farmed Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but for me, I think the vines are, are really elegantly balanced. Um, and I think you taste that in the wine. They're, they're, their roots are so deep that they perform really well in a drought. Um, they're just like that steady, eddy vine that year in and year out, whether it's a tough vintage or a beautiful vintage, they're just always giving you that level of quality that we're looking for. This is a little inside baseball, but Tokelon's on the the benchland, right? Yep. Of the Of the Mayakamas yeah. side. And most of the fruit comes from I-block. Is that historically the correct block it comes from, or yeah, is it T-block? So most of it's T-block, which is, yeah, Robert's block. I'd say about... 85% is from Robert's Block, planted in 1960. Um, and then in the balance is I-Block and a little bit of what we call our Monastery Sauvignon Blanc. And that's, when we say younger, it was planted in the early 90s, so younger, um, up and coming, really quality Sauvignon Blanc that we harvest like a certain number of rows that we think perform the best in that block. And it usually, we can incorporate into our reserve because the quality's there. How far from the winery are these blocks? We're talking about, you know, you come in to Robert Mondavi Winery and everyone everyone knows what that looks like. You come under the archway yep. and Tokelon's kind of spread out in front of you. Yep. Where, where are these blocks what we're talking about? So they're all along like the 6% slope of the Mayakama hillside. Um, so Monastery is, is up, there's a Carmelite Monastery about halfway into Tokelon. It's about, if you got a good arm, it's about a stone's throw from the winery okay. um, due southwest. Right. And... Um, that is where the Monastery Sauvignon Blanc comes from, and then literally a uh, 30-second walk is I-Block all along the Mayakamas, and, and I-Block and T-Block are almost touching. So they're all right there, they're right, all next right, to the, there. right next yeah, to the... Yeah, all on the uh, west side of Tokelon. Yeah. They get really, gra like really gravelly loam soil, so it drains really well, so the vines aren't too vigorous. They're not, they don't have too much nutrients coming in, so they're really, they stress early. Tokelon in general is a fairly early ripener, so... Right. It's good and tough vintages. So, so it's the whole vineyard is an early ripener for the most part. I mean, so there's and, 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 well, and, variations and, sure. and stuff like that, but for the most part, um, a lot of our reserve picks are one of the first picks that we make. Sauvignon Blanc is a pretty early ripener yeah. too. So you're starting out early here. Yes. And then when you get to your Cabernet, kind of because I know you get some fruit from Stag's Leap. Yep. That that's a little later probably yep. ripening. Yep. So you're going along. Uh, your harvest season is long. Long stretch. Yeah. No. I, I last year we started harvesting on August third. Sauvignon Blanc. Actually, I block. August third. Yeah. August third, and I went seven days a week until you know almost Thanksgiving. So it's a Oof. long drawn out harvest. Seven, seven days a week at the winery, but. It's like our season, like basketball. You know, you you, you look forward to it and you're ready. Right, this and, is what you work for. Yep, exactly. You want to tackle it, tackle the issues, tackle the 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 great spots of harvest. And my wife might think differently, me being gone. Sure, yeah, most, right. Most of three months plus, but uh, yeah, it's a fun it's a fun part. And this is the reserve. What what's what's the vintage on this wine? This is the 2014. So 14 was the second year of the drought, but we got rain right at the right time. So like early February, March, just got a touch of rain, which helped kind of wake the vines up, give them enough water to get them to where we need them to be for harvest. Um, so it was a really smooth vintage, and I think the wines are really um, soft and supple and. Um, it's a the vineyard manager that I work closely with called it kind of a walk in the park vintage. It was a vintage that just kind of one foot moved in front of the other, and, and it was it was a smooth year. You lead a charmed life, don't you? Yeah, it's <laughs> not bad. Could be worse. So what do we have next? So we have a really fun wine. Um, it's called the Robert Mondavi Maestro, and the idea behind the Maestro 
was to pay tribute to Mr. Mondavi because, you know, if you ask a lot of winemaker peers of mine, friends of mine, he really put Napa Valley on the map for great wine growing region. He, he preached not only Robert Mondavi Winery can make incredible wines that stand amongst the world's finest, but he preached Napa Valley as a whole. He wanted to lift the entire valley, the, you know, the rising tide rises all ships mentality. And so for the 50th anniversary, which we celebrated in 2016, we wanted to create a wine to pay tribute to him. And we were thinking, you know, stylistically, how can we do this in his honor? And, and what do we want to call it? And so we ended up coming up with a red blend, which is a different, you know, philosophy from our cab, Napa Valley, our Oakville cab and our reserve cab. It would be kind of fun to have a wine that the winemaker can really have fun with, not have a distinct style. I have a wine that we think, you know, a red blend that, you know, in 2013 the Merlot was stunning. So in the 13 vintage, which was the first year we made it, was mainly Merlot. In 14, we're like, okay, what, what can we do um, and have a wine where we have a lot of fun and, and a playground to play with? And Cabernet in 14 was King. It was amazing, and so we're like, let's let's shift the blend and do a Cabernet Cabernet Franc blend and a little bit of Merlot, and um, we called it Maestro because not only was he a maestro of Robert Mondavi Winery, he was working with the vineyard team, the winemaking team, sales, the lab, everybody working as one. He was really the maestro of the Napa Valley and getting Napa Valley on the map. So. We're going to continue to make Maestro. This is a 2014. Like I said, it's mainly Cab, about 20% Cabernet Franc, and then a touch of Merlot. There's a secondary story about Maestro, though. Yes. So really how we came to terms with Maestro was um, back in 2000 when we opened up and finalized our Tokelon cellar, a brand new oak fermentation room. We, we wanted to, I personally wasn't there, but he wanted to pay tribute to Tokelon. Tokelon was really becoming an incredible vineyard. And, and we created, on this night of the opening, a ceremony. And the Napa Valley Orchestra Symphony came in and played a, a ballad called Ode to Tokelon. And about halfway through the ballad, um, Mishmandavi jumps up and actually grabs the batons from the leader and actually starts conducting the orchestra. <laughs> and on the next day, the paper, it said, Mishmandavi, the maestro of the night. Clearly the maestro. Exactly. So I think kind of all those stories intertwine, and we're going to continue his legacy and, and make a wine called Maestro. When did Maestro start? 2013. 13, and so this is the second vintage, this and this is, is going to continue going. This is going to continue going, yeah. it's, it's um, Something that we're going to continue on with his legacy. Let's give it a taste. Absolutely. So what's the blend on this? So this is about 70% Cab, 20% Cabernet Franc, and the balance is Merlot. So it's a, it's a true red blend, and it's a... Really vibrant color. Yeah. It's a wine that we want to make approachable, like really soft, supple, silky, juicy, a wine that goes really well with foods, which is what Mr. Mandavi always um, preached. It's all about the experience. It's not just about sitting here and having a bottle of wine. It's about how can we incorporate friends, family over food. And, and it's a wine that we are looking to be more approachable. And you still have that juiciness, freshness, but also structure and, and soft, silky tannins. The, the nose on the nose itself, it's pretty big. It's, it's toasty. And the, the fruit on the nose is pretty jammy, actually. Mm. But then it's a completely different wine when you put it in your mouth. It's 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 acid is elevated. It's bright. It's fresh. Yep. It's complex. It's still outrageously young. Obviously, yeah. we are capturing 
a nice unique blend of Toklon and Stag's Leap Wapo Hill. So two internal vineyards that we've had fruit from since the 1960s. And I think they play a cool little a balance together. Do you have the structure and, and tannins of Toklon and then you have the vibrancy and freshness coming from Stag's Leap. So it's a cool kind of harmonious blend of the two vineyards that we've worked with for a really long time. That's yeah, great. The fruit, like just red berries, very mouthwatering. The tannins are super silky. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like a wine that you have to lay down for 10 years. Right. Yeah. Um, you'll be rewarded if you do have the yes. patience to do that. Yes. Patience is always, but, uh, always good. This wine you could pop open right now and have with a have with a nice nice hunk of beef, I think, is what you want. With yes. This, huh? Yeah. And I, I, for what, we, what we're looking for, we actually keep it in barrel longer to kind of help soften and integrate the tannin and the oak and the, and the fresh fruit. So this is in barrels for about 22 to 24 months. So we do a little bit longer um, time in barrels to help with the approachability. And like you said, I think it's gonna age incredibly and, and continue to grow um, in the bottle because you have that vibrancy of the acidity, but you also have the tannins and the structure behind it. Since we talked so much about Tokalon, can we try the Tokalon? Yes. All right, let's try the Tokalon Reserve. Yeah. So this is the 2014 uh, Reserve, 2014? Yep. 2014 uh, Tokalon Reserve, the Reserve, yes. now called. The Reserve. Uh, Robert Mondavi Cabernet. This won't be released until kind of September, but this is a little preview tasting we're going to get here. Yeah, I thought it was a special time to uh, to bring this with me and show it to you because this is a wine that, the Reserve is a wine that Mr. Mondavi hung his hat on. This is, when he moved over to Tokalon and built the winery, he knew that this was a wine that was going to be serious, going to be finesse, elegance, and, and it's a wine that we really are are very fortunate to, to produce or to make. Um, yeah, so the 2014 vintage uh, was, like I said, a walk in the park. It was a, a vintage that I thought produced beautiful, elegant wines. This is what, what, what we're looking for. And um, like you said, this is a pre-release. It'll be released in September, October, depending on what we're seeing. Um, but this wine is mainly from older vines in Tokalon. Um, like I said, the Monastery Block and, and Robert's Block. We have Cab and um, Petit Verdot out there. and. We usually, for our reserve, because um, Cabernet Franc right now is a very trendy variety, at least in Napa Valley, and, and Mr. Mandavi was ahead of his time. Since 1966, we've always used Cabernet Franc in our reserve blend, and the 1966 vintage had 10% Cabernet Franc, and we continue on that legacy. So this wine, um, I don't memorize statistics, but I'd say it's about 85 to 90% Cabernet, 10 to 15% Cabernet Franc, and then just a touch of Petit Verdot. And that's kind of, a little bit of, yeah, just to kind of create oof. the, yeah, little, it kind of ties everything together. You got to be careful with Petit Verdot because it could completely take over a blend. Yeah, it can. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, spends about 18 to 20 months in barrel, 100% new French oak, and we usually um, bottle it out, or we bottle it and then wait a year before we release it. It's got a pretty color. It's not deep and brooding like you might think of some Napa cabs. It's, the color is a little bit, I'm not going to use the word delicate, but that's the word that's coming yeah. to mind. More, yeah. more than a lot of Napa cabs yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it knows there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's earthy, it's fruity, it's, there's a, there's, there's, there's spice from the wood. Yep. There's like leather and cocoa. Mm -hmm. And it tastes obviously ripping young. Again, that kind of bright red fruit. Yep. Nice, nice mouthwatering acidity. Obviously, the complexity is a little higher than the Maestro. Yeah, it's more um, dense, I think. It's got a density and a, and a flow that's different mm -hmm. than Maestro. But still, super silky tannins. God forbid you should drink this wine today because that's a mistake. I mean, you know, if you, if you buy a bottle of this, please lay it down. Um, 
but if you have to open a bottle of 2014 Tokoan on release, you can do it and you'll be drinking a good wine. Yeah, yeah, I recommend <laughs> a little bit of a decanting period, but yeah, I think you have everything we're looking for in Tokoan. You have, you said, the freshness, the, the vibrancy, but you also have the structure, the tannin that's going to make this wine age incredibly oh, well. Yeah, this wine, 20, 40, it's gonna 50 be years, singing. you can still be drinking it. Yeah, yep. and that's what Mr. Mandabi was always a balancing act of, of creating an approachable wine that can be consumed early, but also the fun thing about winemaking is going back and tasting old vintages and that we want to make a wine that's going to that's gonna last for a long time. Cola, I yeah. think it's some cola flavors yeah. and just simply delicious, but obviously ripping young yet. Yeah, I can't wait to see where this is at when we release it because it's only gonna it's only going to mature and evolve and like wine does, it's ever evolving. When you go back and taste older vintages, I mean, obviously you've tasted probably every vintage that Robert Mondavi's made in Cabernet. Um, do you have sort of a vision in your head where you want to see the wines that you're making go based on what those wines taste like? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, with a lot of the trendier blockbuster cabs, I'm not sure, I, I can't speak to it because it's a fairly recent trend. I don't know how those wines are going to age, but looking at how we've made wine for the last, you know, 50 years with, with elegance, with, you know, freshness, with structure, with tannin. Um, yeah, I think we, it's important for us to carry on the legacy because we know that the wines are going to age gracefully. So it's, it's always something that we're, we're looking towards is how is this wine going to evolve and age? And I think every year, I mean, depending on the vintage, you have different variations, but uh, as you go back in the 2000s and 90s, the 80s and 70s, the wines are Absolutely incredible. One of the things I've noticed about all the wines we tasted today, and I know it's a buzzword in Napa because it's it's reactionary to the criticism of of, of Napa being too big and too blousy, um, that the wines are balanced. Everywhere you go in Napa Valley now, every, the buzzword in all the tasting rooms are balanced. But your wines truly are balanced. It's great to see that high level of acidity, acidity the fruit that's still there but not dominating, and all balanced out by the, 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 the silky tannins and, and, and with the whites, the laziness. Yeah, well, that means a lot coming from you because that's, that's really our goal is to, to stay true to the, the Mr. Mandavi's um, vision and kind of march to the beat of our own drum, which I think he was the king of. You know, he was the one that, you know, was... was continue to have a core philosophy of winemaking and like I said never never looked in the rearview mirror and that's that's kind of where we want to continue carrying the torch. I recommend to people if they're going to Napa Valley for the first time that Robert Mondavi really is the place that you ought to go to 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 start your tour there because without Mr. Mondavi's vision Napa Valley would have still been a big thing but it wouldn't have been exactly what it is today and it's important to walk there and and see Tokalan and understand the importance of that winery Joe Harden, winemaker at Robert Mondavi. Thanks so much for your time. Your wines are delicious. Uh, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a great time. Appreciate it. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 